Mighty God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit's presence with us this morning. Now, as we come to your word, Lord, we sing those words. We, that's our prayer, Lord, that we would say yes to you, that we would open our hearts, be available, ready to hear from you, great God. You are a speaking God. You long to speak to us as your people and your promise to us this morning, Lord. Your promise is that if we will seek you, that we will be found by you, mighty God. That is your promise to us. And so, Lord, as we to set aside this time this morning to worship you, to gather with your people. We know, Lord, your heart's desire. You're so near in these moments you are. And so we open our hearts to you now. Speak to us, Lord God, we pray. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Please be seated. I want to add my welcome to you. It's so great to have you sharing with us today at our service. Particular welcome to those who are joining us online as well. Really great to have you linking in wherever you're linking in from. My prayer is that you'll feel blessed, encouraged, strengthened today as you share with us. It is such a privilege to be able to share together. I too just want to extend my sympathies to you, Steve and Julie, on the passing of Mozart. He was a, a mighty man of God and the, he is a great loss to the kingdom of God. And we are praying for the whole community over there, hope and care for little souls and for you as a family as well. And, uh, and giving much thanks for the impact and influence, the legacy that Mozart leaves as well, lift, lifting up Sephora particularly before God this morning. Well, it was August 2019 when 36-year-old university professor and mother of two, Alison Milner, was jogging along Royal Parade in Princess Park in Melbourne. It's the parade that links the suburb of Carlton with the CBD, Melbourne CBD. And it's a very popular parade, very popular with joggers, walkers. Uh, and the reason it's so popular, a couple of reasons. One, one particular is that it's just an amazingly picturesque parade because it is lined with these magnificent English elm trees that were planted back in 1913. These three trees are imposing, they're strong. They've witnessed generations of change. They've witnessed the Great Depression, two world wars. They've seen social and technological changes far beyond anything anyone could have imagined 100 years ago. And through all of these changes, these trees have stood strong. And yet on this cold August morning, as Alison Milner was jogging along this path, one of these magnificent elm trees without warning, uh, suddenly gave way and collapsed, tragically falling on Alison and, and ending her life without warning, incredibly, an incredibly tragic situation. And immediately people began to ask, how could this powerful, strong elm tree that has been there for so long just suddenly without warning collapse like that? There's been no storms. It wasn't like it was a windy day or anything like that. There was no reason for this tree to fall over. And, and to make matters worse, this tree had been inspected just one month earlier as part of a regular tree inspection program that the local council has and had been inspected and checked and, and looked fine. There seemed to be nothing wrong with it at all. But what nobody realised is that from inside, there was this fungal growth that was eating away this strong, magnificent, powerful elm tree from the inside out. And after standing so proudly for so long through all the changes of time, it finally gave way. And it's an incredibly sad and, and unexpected story. 
But in the same way, this is a picture of what can so often be true for us as humans as well. There are many stories I'm sure you know of yourself of people who seem to have it all together. They, from the outside, they have a good career, the nice house, the, the car, the perfect family. It all seems like they have it all together. And then suddenly without notice, you hear of something that's taken place. You hear of something that um, has unfolded where suddenly what was really going on on the inside has been revealed and we're all in shock because we're wondering, well, how did that happen? Everything looks so good from the outside. But in reality, below the surface, there were buried issues and unseen wounds and hidden hurts and emotions that no one else could see. And it was these deeper heart issues that actually were eroding things away from the inside. And eventually it came to the point where things just collapsed for them. And you'll know that when this happens, not only is it incredibly hard, incredibly sad for the person involved, but also impacts others around them as well in in often really devastating ways. The reality is that all of us wrestle with this same issue to some degree or another. We grow up and we're taught from a young age to be very good at monitoring and modifying our external behaviours to suit and to fit the situation that we are in. And that's important. We need to learn how to do that. But every now and again, we will do something or say something and we will think to ourselves, where did that come from? Where did that come from? Why did I act like that? Why did I explode in that way or implode in that way? Why did I say that? Why did I suddenly become so overcome with fear or or anger? Why was I suddenly so overcome with jealousy or insecurity in that situation? We might even say that was very out of character for that person when we see this take place. And we wonder, where did that come from? Well, the Bible actually tells us exactly where it came from. King Solomon was one of the wisest men who ever lived. And he wrote these words 3,000 years ago. And this is what he said, Proverbs 4, verse 23. He said, above all else. And this is a big statement for King Solomon to, to say, to say above all else, because he had a lot of wise advice, being the wisest man who had ever lived. And he wrote a lot of it down and shared a lot of this wise life advice. He wrote Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon's. But he is saying above every other piece of advice I could give you about life, he said, he is the most important. So take note of this. He says, above all else, guard your heart. He says, if you forget everything else I tell you, all the wisdom that I can give to you, he said, here is the number one, the number one truth above everything else, guard your heart. You need to protect it. You need to set a watch over your heart. You need to put boundaries in place around your heart to safeguard it. Why? Why is this so important? Why does Solomon say this is the number one thing? Well, he says, because everything you do flows from your heart. Everything you do flows from it. Not some of the things you do, not just certain behaviours or actions, not the actions that we feel we have control over versus the ones we feel like we don't have control over. Not those Conscious behaviours versus those subconscious behaviours we don't even realise we're doing. But every single thing we do, whether we realise it or not, it all flows from our heart, is what Solomon says. 
He says, this is the key. That it's not the external that is the most important, but it's what is going on in here that is really important because everything else flows from your heart. Back in 2016, I had an opportunity to go to the Solomon Islands with Ross Filmer and Russ Sweetman, Thomas Reeves, three incredible men who had been very involved in the construction of the Ferriboo Bible School over there and work around the, the village. And the purpose of our trip was to attend a graduation service over there where I was to speak and to also to survey some potential future projects that might take place over there. And it was an incredible opportunity. And uh, one of the challenges that the Bible school has is, is getting uh, regular um, water, fresh, clean water into the village and the Bible school area. And the second challenge is getting electricity there. A consistent supply of power is, is two of the big challenges. And so Ross, who always had big vision, massive vision, he had this idea that we would walk to the source of the local creek that flowed into the village past the Bible school and that we would find the source the stream and we would somehow see if there was maybe some way we could tap this stream for hydroelectricity and also maybe to gravity feed water from this stream down to a water tank on the Bible school site. Big vision, like Ross did not think of things in small ways. And so we began trekking through the jungle and across streams, muddy paths, up steep embankments. It was quite a journey. We were carrying with us these two massive pieces of PVC pipe, three or four metres long, big, big pieces of PVC pipe that we were carrying to see if there was some way we could measure the flow of the water. Um, I don't know, Ross had this, had this plan in place and we were there helping him. I started carrying the PVC pipe for a few hundred metres when one of the locals came and took it off me and said, don't you just, just concentrate on the path. They walk like they were just walking on a concrete path and I'm struggling up these embankments. But eventually we got to the source of the water and it was amazing. It was flowing powerfully and it was fresh and it was clean and it was an amazing experience and I was just thinking to myself wow this is definitely a big vision like I was thinking this is impossible we've walked several kilometers through the jungle five or so k's I have no idea how we're going to do it Um, but Ross was not deterred amazing man of big vision and I want to tell you, it was such an incredible experience to, to do that journey, to do that trip with those men, and particularly with our dear brother Ross, who has now gone to be with Jesus, an amazing man of God, an amazing visionary, similar to Mozart as well, just men of God who love Jesus and were all about his kingdom. And I will treasure those memories forever until I get to meet Ross again in glory. But in the same way, King Solomon is saying, we need to focus on the source. We need to make sure that everything is okay there, even though it often seems a whole lot easier and a whole lot less effort to look at things downstream, a lot easier to look at things downstream. But but Solomon is saying, no, 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 you need to get to the source. I happened to be talking with a Christian psychologist this week who were talking about some possible ministry opportunities into the future. And as we were chatting around these same truths, he said, you know, it's just like a, a doctor who is looking after a village who is living downstream and he's treating them for dysentery and for other health um, situations that people are struggling with. And he, he, he treats them and they get better and then they get sick again almost straight away. And he's just facing the same issues again and again and again. And suddenly he thinks to himself, there must be a problem upstream. There must be something going on with the water source here. And so he changes his focus 
to be just looking at what the situation is, what the health conditions are, to saying, well, what is the source? And he begins looking and working upstream, doing what this psychologist called, called upstream work, beginning to do some upstream work rather than just working on the, the situation that's taking place. Because unless that upstream can be, that source can be sorted out, you'll just keep facing the same struggles, the same the same um, battles again and again and again. And it's the same for us, isn't it? We often work downstream. We often try to fix the external behaviours and the issues that we are wrestling with, but we just keep coming up against the same issues again and again and again and seem to be making no progress. But instead, the Bible says we need to look at the source. We need to look to our hearts from which everything else flows. But this takes a bit more effort initially. It can be a little bit harder. In fact, it's always a bit harder to go there. It's particularly in a world that attaches so much value and worth on the external and doesn't, isn't too concerned about what is going on in here. It can be really hard to, to make this our focus. But the Bible tells us that people look at the outward appearance, 1 Samuel 16, but the Lord, the Lord looks at the heart. God is interested in what is going on in here. And the reason I'm talking about the significance of our hearts is because today as we continue our series in the Gospel of Mark, we've got one more week after this one. Today we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 7. And in this passage, 1,000 years after Solomon's words of wisdom about guarding our hearts, Jesus speaks to this exact same truth. Before I read this to you, I just want to give you a little bit of the context that in this, this, this account we're going to read, crowds were gathering around Jesus wherever He went because they were drawn to His teaching. They were attracted to it. And they wanted to see for themselves the, the miracles they'd heard that Jesus was performing. And so following around the edges of these crowds that were gathering to hear Jesus were um, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the religious leaders, but they weren't there because they were drawn to Jesus' teaching, but just the opposite. They were there because they were threatened by what Jesus was saying. They were threatened by the influence um, that He was beginning to, to gain, the gathering that He was beginning to gain and the following that He was um, beginning to gather around Him. And so they were there in the edges of the crowd looking for opportunities to catch Jesus out so they could arrest Him and get rid of Him. That was their goal, their goal and their aim. But on this particular occasion, they noticed that some of Jesus' disciples, some of His followers were eating their food without washing their hands. Now we are all pretty conscious about washing our hands at the moment. I don't think I've, any of us have probably washed our hands as much as we have over the last 12 months. Hand sanitizer is our new best friend. We've never been so conscious of this. And the reason we are so conscious of it is because of health and hygiene. That's why we don't want to spread germs. But the, for, for the Pharisees, their concern about hand washing had very little, if anything, to do with hygiene. For them, they were concerned about it because it was a ceremonial issue. It was one of the extra 500 laws, the 500 religious rules that they had created around the law of God. 
And they said that you had to perform a ceremonial washing of your hands before you eat, just in case you may have come into contact with something that they considered was ceremonially unclean. And so it was a whole procedure they had to follow around this. And so seeing the disciples breaking this rule, they thought, here is our chance. Finally, we get a chance to catch Jesus out. And so they asked Jesus a question with this very intent. And this is where we pick up the story in verse 5, Mark 7. It says, So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? Now, I'm guessing most of us have been in a situation where someone asked you a question in the moment, you just couldn't think of a good response to their question. And then afterwards, you thought about it and thought about it. And maybe like a week later, um, you think of the perfect response. You think, if only I could just go back in time and give that response. Has anyone else had that experience? Anyone else like me? Yeah, good. I'm not on my own here. It's the most frustrating experience, isn't it? You know what I love about reading the Gospels is that, that Jesus always had just the perfect response at just the right moment. He always had amazing responses um, to the questions that people tried to ask him. Listen to this response. It's so good. He replied, Isaiah verse 6 was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honour me with their lips, but their hearts, there it is again, their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. So Jesus is saying to them, you have created these human traditions around the law of God that you are imposing on everyone else. And then he um, gives them a very specific example to give them zero wiggle room of getting out of this. He, he gives them an example and he says this in verse 10. For Moses said, honour your father and mother and anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corban, that is devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. You might be reading that, hearing that and thinking, what on earth is Jesus talking about here? What is Corbin? Who is Corbin? What's this all about? Well, Jesus is referring to a tradition that these religious leaders had come up with that actually allowed them, gave them a way to violate God's law that said you were to honour your father and mother. And it was quite crafty, this tradition they'd come up with. Let me try and explain it to you. They had this rule that you could verbally dedicate or give away everything you own to God, to the temple. So you could verbally say, I'm giving everything I own to the temple, to God. And according to this tradition though, you were allowed, if you did that, you were allowed to use what you own to support you and your immediate family while you were still alive. So as long as you're alive, you could use it for yourself, for your family. But then once you passed away, it was devoted to God, to the temple. But basically this rule was a way to keep them from having to be generous to help others in need. Because if someone came to them and said, look, we're in need, we need help, we need to support somebody who's in need, they could say, well, look, I'm so sorry. I would love to be able to help you in this situation. But I have dedicated everything I own to the temple, to God. So unfortunately, I'm unable to help you in this situation. While all the time they were able to spend their money freely on themselves and their immediate family. And so 
this, this is a way they had come up with, this very sneaky way of coming up, of, of being able to get around being generous to other people. And in this culture where there was no social security, there was no superannuation funds or anything like that, aging parents were in need of support of, of their children. But rather than help them in their time of need, they would say, sorry, mum and dad, I would love to be able to help you, but everything I own is Corbin. I've devoted it to God. So I'm really sorry, but I cannot help you. I cannot support you in this way. Um, and I'm just really, really sorry that I can't do it. They had created this rule, this tradition that actually broke God's law that said that, that they were to honour and care for their father and mother. And so Jesus, knowing this, says to them, verse 13, He says, Thus you nullify the Word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things just like that. He says, this isn't the only example of how you do this. You do many things like this. I can give you more examples if you want to. I can list some more for you. But by this stage, I think the, the teachers of the law, the religious leaders realised that they had, were way out of their depth with Jesus. I think they're wishing they'd never asked a question at all of Jesus. And so at this point, they clear out, they move off the scene. But before we get too judgmental on the Pharisees, the reality is, is that the, our natural human tendency is to do exactly the same thing as these religious leaders. We are very good at coming up with reasons as to why it's okay not to follow God's law, not to follow God's will for us. We're incredibly talented at this. I don't know if you've noticed it. We're very good at coming up with reasons that sound very godly, very holy reasons to us at least anyway, to not do what God wants us to do, but instead to do the things that we wanna do, even if they are things that are clearly outside of the boundaries God has given for us. We're incredibly talented at coming up reasons, coming up with reasons. We say things like, well, I deserve this. After all that I have done for God, after everything that I have been through, I deserve or I need this. Or we say things like this, everyone else I know is doing this. Other Christians I know seem to be okay with it. So I'm sure it's fine if other Christians, some other Christians seem to be okay with it, then I'm sure God must be okay with this as well. Or another one can be because of the way I was treated, I have a right to be upset and angry and I have a right to hold on to bitterness. God understands this. This is an exception to the rule. I know that's what the Bible says about how I should respond here, but this is an exception to the rule. God will understand because of what I've been through. Or we might even say that I'm doing this to have an impact and an influence to reach others. If I don't go into that environment, if I don't get alongside and befriend that person, who will reach them? When all the while we know deep down that that environment is not where God wants us to be or that relationship is not healthy for us. It's destructive for us. But we're exceptionally talented at doing this. So often subtly we can convince ourselves that what we are doing, even though it's not what God wants for us, is, is okay. It's even, even we can convince ourselves as even godly and holy, just like the teachers of the law. The prophet Jeremiah actually warns us about this. And he tells us why we do this. He says in Jeremiah 17 verse 9, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? 
In other words, Jeremiah is saying, you need to be aware of this. You need to be warned of this. The natural tendency of our hearts is to deceive ourselves, to convince us that it's okay to do what we wanna do rather than to do what God wants us to do. And deep down, we know this. And so we need to be aware, we need to be alert that the heart is deceitful. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but we are incredibly good at leading ourselves astray. If we just left our own devices, we're incredibly good at this. And we need help. And the reason we need help is because we have this heart condition. Jeremiah is telling us we have this heart condition called sin and we need Jesus to make our hearts new. We need Him to heal our hearts, to purify our hearts. This is what we need. This is the greatest need of any person is for Jesus to come and to heal our hearts. And so it's at this moment in the story that Jesus really gets to the main Point. The teachers of the law have now gone, they've, they've hit the road, but then it says that Jesus, the crowds begin to disperse, but then Jesus calls the crowd back to him because he's now going to explain just what was going on there and he's gonna share with them this life transforming truth. And he says this in verse 14. He says, listen to me, everyone. Listen to me, he says. Understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. Now for the crowd, this was brand new information. This was a radical concept for them because for them, religion was about earning acceptance with God through eating the right things, through washing the correct way, through making the right offerings, through praying the right prayers. For them, it was all about the external, following the rules that had been laid out for them. But now Jesus comes along and says, no, 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 the external, the things outside a person, that's not what defiles you. That's not what defiles us. That is not where the problem is. He comes along and he says, the real problem is an internal one. God is more concerned about what is going on in here than He is about the outward appearance. And then the crowd disperses and Jesus and His disciples, we read, they enter into the house where they were staying. And then one of the disciples asks Jesus a question. Now, I was always one of those kids at school that no matter how much I might have wanted to ask a question, if the teacher explained something and I didn't understand, there was no way I was putting up my hand to ask a question. I was too shy, too quiet for that. I would just pray that someone else would ask the question that I had on my mind. But fortunately, in this instant here, one of the disciples was was bold enough to ask a question. Most likely it was probably the Apostle Peter. He features strongly in Mark's gospel account and he was pretty bold if you know much about his personality. And so probably Peter says, Jesus, that stuff you just shared, that was amazing and I totally understood it. I totally got it. But just for the sake of the other disciples here, just for their sake, not for me, I'm good. Would you just explain this a little bit more to us? I wanna make sure we've all got this sorted. And so Jesus says, verse 18, in response to this question, are you so dull, he asked. And I think he's really saying this in a loving way. Don't you get it? This is so obvious what I'm talking about. He says, don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them for it doesn't go into their hearts, but it goes into their stomach and then out of the body. And he probably checked, you know what I'm talking about? Everyone's like, yes, Jesus, we know exactly what you're talking about. Verse 20, he went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. 
For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. He says, this is really a heart issue. Man looks at the outward, I know, but God looks at the heart because everything, remember what Solomon said a thousand years ago, everything flows from the heart. And then Jesus gives some specific examples of some of the evil things that flow out externally, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. Now we are pretty good at recognising the sin, sinful behaviour, the external sin, sinful behaviour. The, the behaviours in that list, Jesus listed, we, we have no trouble recognising those, but we have a lot more trouble recognising the deeper heart issue that led to that external sinful behaviour in the first place. It's a lot easier to identify the external behaviour. It's a lot harder to diagnose the heart issue that actually led to that action, that behaviour taking place. And Jesus says here, our outward sins are actually a sign of a deeper heart issue that is going on for us. And it's the heart, he says, we need to deal with. And it's our hearts that Jesus came to deal with. I want you to know that is exactly why Jesus came. As I've been thinking and reading about for this sermon, praying over this sermon over the last couple of weeks, I recently had one of those Holy Spirit search my own heart moments. It's a dangerous occupation preaching, I want to tell you, because God preaches it to you first. I'd organised to do an activity with one of my kids and in the morning I was racing around, rushing around, trying to get a heap of things organised and done before we went. And then when that... In the midst of me rushing around, that child asked me a simple question relating to the activity that they were excited about doing, but in my rush, I was quite short and I was abrupt back to them with a bit of an angry tone. And 30 minutes passed, still was rushing around, doing everything, and finally it was time to go, and I went to this child to say, you're ready to go, it's time to go, are you ready? And the child said to me, oh, Dad, I'm not so keen to go anymore. And now I was really frustrated. If I was frustrated before, now I was really getting frustrated. I'd organise everything for us to be able to go and to do, spend this time together. And so I decided I needed time out in my room. Parents sometimes need time out in their room, not kids. True story. So I thought, well, if we're not going out to this activity, I'm going to go to my room and I'm going to do some reading for my sermon. I'm sure it was a Holy Spirit trap. He set me up for, I'm sure. So I went into my room and I started reading and I'm looking at this passage. And it's like the Holy Spirit starts to do this deeper heart work on me. And suddenly I started thinking, why am I really frustrated? Why was I really so abrupt and sure? What was really going on there in my heart? Where'd that really come from? And as the Holy Spirit showed me what was going on, it was not nice. I want to tell you that. Look within, it was like that oh, moment of, it's not good, what's in here? What's going on in here? And I knew exactly what I had to do. And I got up from where I was, I went and found that child and I said, I'm so sorry for the way that I was short with you before. It wasn't you, it was me, I was wrong. Would you please forgive me? And they said, yeah, of course, Dad, I forgive you. I said, do you want to go and do that activity together now? And they said, yeah, I'd love to go and to do that. We went, we had a... Great time together. 
But I want to tell you, I need this. We all need this. We all need this. We need to spend more time focusing on what is going on in our hearts rather than just the external behaviours which we've gotten so good at modifying, controlling, most of the time anyway, until things erupt from inside our heart to the outside. So let me ask you today, how is your heart? How is your heart this morning? Maybe you haven't stopped to think about this for a while. Maybe you're too afraid to stop and to think about it because you are worried it'll be just too painful to go there. Maybe you feel like you don't have the time or the energy to go there. You're thinking, oh, I just don't have the strength. Maybe you're worried that, my, that your heart is just too broken and it can't be fixed. Maybe that's some of the thoughts that come into your mind, but I want to tell you this morning that Jesus is an amazing heart physician. He is the best. He is incredible. The Bible tells us that he has come to bring healing to our hearts. The Bible says that he is close to the broken heart. If you feel like that this morning, well, the word of God says that he is near to you this morning. And it says that he heals the brokenhearted. This is who our God is. He's gentle, he's caring. He has our best interests at heart because he longs for you to experience freedom and healing and wholeness and life to the full as he intended for us. In fact, Jesus said these very words in John chapter 7, verse 38. He said, anyone who believes in me may come and drink for the Scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. This is God's desire for us. This is the very reason that Jesus came. He said, I came so that you might experience healing and wholeness in your heart. Rivers of living water. And God also says in Ezekiel, famous passage of Ezekiel 36, 26, I will give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. This is God's promise to each of us. If we will come to Him in repentance and faith, if we'll come and open our hearts to Him, His promise is that He will renew our hearts. The Spirit will come and do His healing work within us. So as we respond today, there are two prayers that I want to invite you to pray. They are very simple but incredibly powerful prayers. The first one is this. The first prayer I want to invite you to pray this morning is, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Search me, O God. Know my heart. This is King David's prayer and he knew firsthand the hurt and the pain of not guarding his heart. He had learned how important this was the hard way. And this search my heart prayer is saying, God, I need you to show me what is really going on inside. I need you to reveal to me. It's asking the Holy Spirit to show us where there are buried issues to show us where there are unseen wounds, hidden hurts and emotions that others can't see, but actually they are eroding away from the inside. And in praying a prayer like this, like David prayed, we're acknowledging that God knows us better than we know ourselves. Psalm 139, if you read the whole Psalm, it says that He knit us together, that He knows everything about us. We're saying, God, You know me better than I know myself. And I need you to come. And we're acknowledging that we cannot know the depths of our heart without the help of the Holy Spirit. 
So such a powerful prayer to pray, Lord, search me, search my heart, oh God, this morning. Search my heart. And once He shows us, then we're able to open our hearts to Him. He's able to come in and begin bringing renewal and healing to our hearts from the inside out. Powerful prayer to pray. The second prayer, it's also from King David. Another very simple yet incredibly powerful prayer. It's this one. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Would you create in me a clean heart? Would you purify my heart? It says, Lord, I need you to come to do your healing work in my heart. I need you to renew me from the inside out. I need to realign my desires, my passions for you, God. I need you to realign my heart with your heart, God. That's the prayer that you're praying. God is calling us today to come and to pay attention to our hearts, to ask the Holy Spirit to come in and to show us where our wrong thoughts and our actions and behaviours are really coming from. Maybe you've just been focusing on the external and you've been facing the same things again and again and again, saying, God, would you help me? And all the time God's saying, I wanna, I wanna do a deeper work. I wanna work upstream. I wanna do a work at the source. I wanna tell you, I've been praying these prayers and it has been, it has been powerful for me, just praying these prayers in my own life. Simple prayers, but powerful prayers. And as we do it, as we come, as we say, He comes, His promise to us is that He will come, that He will renew our hearts, that He will bring healing. And the Holy Spirit is here this morning. I, I know He is here and His desire is to come and to, to renew hearts this morning, to bring healing to our hearts. And by doing this, to, to bring to us a fresh awareness of, of, of His joy and His freedom and forgiveness. And not only is it a blessing to our lives, but it's such a blessing to those around us as well. So I want to invite you in a moment to be able to come and to pray these simple prayers. But as we come to that, I want to pray. I want to lead us in prayer together now. Let's do that together. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this powerful truth from Your Word. Thank You, God, that You know us better than we know ourselves. You do, God. And this morning as we come to you, Lord, we just hear your word to us that you want to do some heart work, Lord. You want to go deeper. Lord, I know you're here this morning by your Holy Spirit. I know your desire is to renew our hearts, Lord, to bring healing to our hearts. This is your deepest desire, Lord. And so that now as we have these moments just to respond in your presence, Holy Spirit, I pray you'll come near, that you'll do your work you begin a powerful healing work in many lives, in all of our lives. In fact, this morning I pray and I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing a song of response this morning as we come to do that. There's a simple way that you can respond down the front on both sides. Uh, we have a cross to make it easier on both sides this morning. There's some little heart post-it notes that I've put down there on some tables. As a way to respond this morning, just say, Lord, yeah, I want to pray that prayer. Search my heart. Creating me a clean heart, oh God, this morning. You can just come and take one of those post-it notes and just place it on the cross or on the wall near the cross there. And by doing that, you're just saying, Lord, this is, this is my heart this morning. I want to respond to what you're saying to me. I want you to begin this work. And we don't need to respond physically. 
you don't need to do that this morning, but there's something powerful, isn't it, about just marking it, responding in faith as we hear the Word of God. We hear Him speaking to us to say, God, yeah, that's my heart this morning. I want to respond in faith. It's easy to head out of here and forget what the Spirit of God is saying to us. And so we want to mark these moments. We want to say, yeah, God, I hear what you're saying to me. I want you to do this work in me. So as we're singing this song, you can just pray that prayer in your own heart. Lord, search my heart. Maybe He's already been showing you things. Maybe the Spirit of God has already been revealing things to you as we've just been looking at His Word together. If He has been, just respond to that. Just respond to those things and say, Lord, I bring this before you this morning. Create in me a clean heart. Bring and do your healing work in my heart, I pray. And God's promise is that if we will do that, He, he longs to come. To, to give us a new heart, to renew our hearts, to realign our hearts with His heart this morning. So you can come, you don't have to write anything or do anything, just come, grab one of those hearts, stick it on the cross or on the wall near it. And that's just a way of you saying, yes, Lord Jesus, I want you to do this in my heart in a fresh and a new way this morning. So let's stand together as we worship. Let's stand and worship Him. And as we do that, you feel free just to come and to respond this morning.
to finish on this morning it's your heart that we want great God would you realign our hearts with your heart this morning Lord I know you're doing that Lord your spirit's just at work here this morning in, in our midst thank you for your promise Lord that you come that when we trust in you that we can know rivers of living water flowing from our hearts great God thank you for your kindness Lord thank you for your mercy your love Lord, I want to pray this morning a blessing on each and every one, both here in the auditorium, those online as well, Lord, as we just come before you, Lord, as we open our hearts to you this morning, Lord. Just thank you for this work you're doing now in our hearts. Continue it in this week ahead, Lord. May we continue, Lord, just to be a people, soft hearts towards you, God. Transform from the inside out. And then, Lord, as you do that, may this blessing flow, Lord, to those around us as well, Lord. Blessing into our front lines, wherever you place us, Lord, our families, our workplaces, our neighbourhoods, university campuses, wherever you take us, Lord, may this, these rivers of living water flowing from within us flow out to those around us as well, we pray. So bless each one, but we thank you. Lord Jesus, you're amazing. We love you. Such a wonderful saviour, redeemer and friend. And so we praise you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. If you'd like prayers, some of our prayer team will be down the front here. They'd love to pray for you if you're online. Make sure you email through to prayer at bridgeman.org.au. We'd love to pray for you this week. But God bless you. Thanks so much for sharing with us. Don't forget our service tonight, another baptism, 41. We're up to halfway to 82. Praise God. We look forward to connecting with you again soon.